when we when we all understand what the problem is, then we can help you know fix it. It's not about covering your ass. It's it's about the teamwork. Antiguan society in general, you know, has a kind of cover my ass <laughs> um, sort of mentality. Cover my ass, cover my um, eyes, cover my ears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Hello, podcast fans, and welcome back to Grassroots Radio. I am your host, Janique Bird, back after a little unexpected hiatus. It's a pleasure to be back, feeling pretty great, and so happy to bring you this interview with Ashton Ferron, who is another member of the ticketing team and our third and final guest in our tech entrepreneurship series. As far as exploring the world of tech entrepreneurship in Antigua and Barbuda goes, Ashton has definitely covered so much ground. In addition to being an entrepreneur as part of the ticketing team, he has also worked with the government in the Ministry of Information, being instrumental in creating the GATE program. He's also now in the private sector working with Digicel. So it was very fascinating to get all these different perspectives rolled into one. Next week, we will be starting our series on sex and sex education. So be sure to tune in for our very first episode in that series with Marcella and Aisha from the YouTube channel, Let's Talk Sex. And now here's Ashton Ferron to let you know who he is. My name's Ashton Ferran. Um, I am, what am I, 35? Well, I guess I do a little bit of everything. Uh, I am currently the business solutions executive at uh, Digicel, um, uh, but I also uh, work with ticketing and ticketing events up. And I also do a bit of instruction at the UE Open Campus in project management. Business Solutions Executive, can you give me a bit of an idea of what that actually means and what your day-to-day life and your job is like? Business Solutions Executive, uh, essentially the role uh, means that I deal with business sales, whether it's uh, corporate mobile or um, internet services or um, anything, uh, any sort of product or solution that a business might need, um, they would come to one one of our business executives, um, <clears throat> which would include myself, mm-hmm. and we would recommend you know the best solutions that we have available through our partners or through whatever services we we offer. Working for Digital at this point in time is a bit challenging. Um, <clears throat> at the moment, you know, the, we've been getting uh, a bit of uh, bad commentary about our mobile network, um, you know, and with, uh, the, with APUA's new network and, and the challenges that we face with that, you know, it, it, makes, it, it makes life very interesting at, at Digicel. Um, but, you know, it's all about the people, all about being able to talk to the customer. Um, so that that is essentially my job and essentially what I do um, at ticketing as well, you know, uh, working with people. 
Okay. Can you say more about your role in ticketing kind of from the inception of it and then has that changed over time? Um, so I think we were, from from we started, uh, the roles have pretty much been the same. Um, myself and Sven, uh, one of my partners, uh, we both had the idea at the same time. Um, and we both had a mutual friend that knew we had this, the idea at the same time and thought, well, why don't we just team up and work together? And so I was actually, you know, working on developing the app myself. Uh, but Sven is a much more adept coder than I am. Um, so while I was doing the business proposal and trying to work on the app as well, um, I left the coding up to Sven and I did the business aspect of it. Um, in terms of developing the business plans and looking at um, how we can actually sell this product. You know, so that, that is essentially my role from the inception and continuing today. Wow, so what was it like in the early days trying to put together that plan and find avenues to actually market this product that you were building? Um, so in the early days, uh, well, we started, you know, I started doing some research um, on how we could actually get this done. We always had the intention of going to market with ticketing, but, you know, we sort of wanted to just test the waters and we did a few surveys, did some research on how people felt about, you know, um, paying for, for tickets online, paying for stuff online in general, you know, mm -hmm. what were the trends back then and so on. And, you know, and what we were saw, the trends back then? Oh, well, you know, it was it was only just beginning to shift right. where persons were just, you know, sort of starting to to get comfortable with, you know, going on Amazon, for example, and making purchases. Um, so in 2014, you know, persons, not a lot of persons were, were really doing that. There were the few that were maybe, you know, and it still continues today, but there mm -hmm. were the few that, you know, were comfortable with buying online. And so they would buy stuff for their friends who maybe didn't have a credit card or debit card and, and ship them in. And so a lot of people have actually made businesses just from sure. shipping stuff in for people because they didn't have a, a debit card, you know, but it's so easy right now. Everybody can do it now, you know, and a lot more people are comfortable. So we saw the gap um, back then, and we saw the opportunity. And of course, um, we saw how much people enjoyed entertainment <laughs> okay. um, and, and fetting and, and these sorts of things. And so we, we, of course, went with that. And, you know, now we, we're, we're sort of, looking at, well, we're sort of reaping the benefits of having invested our time and efforts into creating that product. Um, that, you know, it's now very commonplace and, uh, for persons to shop online. And so as persons or as the, as the economy has seen more persons obtain, you know, debit and credit cards and so on, we, we're just now looking at maximizing um, our ability to uh, provide a product that, you know, makes it easier for them to do what they want to do. 
And throughout this whole development project, did you guys rely on any incubation platforms? Did you participate in any pitch competitions? Like how did you really get all the different pieces coming together? What kind of help did you have? We, we actually, in 2015, um, in 2015, we, we had the opportunity to actually go to Jamaica um, for a weeks-long uh, startup boot camp. And myself... Did you say weeks-long or week-long? A, a week, a week long. It okay. was a week long, right? Mm-hmm. And myself and Sven, we we went over and we we basically were told because we were we were basically just working on developing the product, trying to make it as good as possible before we we actually put it out there. And in November of 2015, we went to this one week boot camp and. Essentially, they told us, look, if you don't put it out right away, you know, you could be, you, know, you could be wasting your time because mm-hmm. if persons aren't willing to actually pay you money for it, then it's, it could be a waste of time. So the, the idea was um, you needed at least two persons um, to start your business, uh, a hustler and a hacker. And we had both. Myself being the hustler or the business person, mm-hmm. and Sven being the hacker or the the coder, right? Yes. Um, so we had we had that, and after that uh, one week boot camp, um, the idea, as I was saying, was we need to get it into people's hands so they can either tell us, you know, this idea is nonsense, or we can, you know, we can actually see people start using it, and then right, it needed to be tested out. in the real world. Needed to be tested in the real world. So, within a few weeks after that bootcamp, we put together everything and we launched our MVP, which is basically a minimum viable product. Mm-hmm. And on Labor Day of 2015, December 26th. Um, we had our app in the app store and we sold tickets to our first event um, in January, in the first week of January. So immediately we got feedback, we got the business um, going and, you know, it, it was a delight just to actually sell some tickets. <laughs> yeah, know? that must have been um, exciting. We didn't, we didn't sell much tickets, mm-hmm. but it actually worked. And persons got into the event and we got the ball rolling from there. And so, you know, there was, in the weeks leading up to our launch, you know, Sven was busy coding and I was busy talking to um, event hosts, um, as we like to call them, uh, letting them know that, look, they can get, we can save them time, we can save them money, um, and we can make their customers happy. Um, you know, that was essentially the sales pitch to them. And so we, we got them, because our product is, is different in a sense that most, most persons, when they launch a product, it is, you know, business to consumer or business to business. 
but our product um, sort of splits that and we have to deal with the customers on one right. side and the event hosts or the businesses on another side. Mm-hmm. And so without the two, you know, it's like mm-hmm. we, we, we can't, if we don't have any customers on the platform, then, you know, the event hosts aren't going to talk to us because, you know, what's the point? But if we don't have the event hosts on the other hand, um, you know, with, the, with their events and their parties, then, you know, why would the customer sign up? So I had to try and sell that to them, to the event hosts and let them know, look, we need to get your event on there. Once we have your event, you get the customers, right? right. So we, we had to, to, to get both sides um, on board and we managed to do that. And so far we managed to do that quite well. <laughs> Yeah, well, I would say definitely quite well, because when you think of tech startups in Antigua, I mean, ticketing is kind of the top of the list. So you guys have done an amazing job. Oh, thank you. We try. <laughs> <laughs> well, you succeeded. You didn't just try. <laughs> You've also spent a little bit of time working in the public sector. You worked in the Ministry of Information. What was your experience in that role like? I joined the Ministry of Information um, in 2012, um, I had just completed my master's degree in London, um, and I had sent off an application since before I left England, actually. And um, when I got down, I think in about uh, January or February of that year, I was obviously looking for work. and. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Uh, about April, um, the then minister, uh, Dr. Mansour, had, well, he wanted to interview me. And I went in for the interview in April, um, thought it went pretty well. Um, I was interviewed by the director of IT and so on. And um, I didn't really hear anything back. And then I then got a call about a couple of weeks later um, from um, sort of, I, I would say, a sort of a mentor to me, uh, Mr. Clement Samuel, um, who was the telecommunications officer. So now I, I had applied to work for, in IT, right, which is slightly different. Um, the telecommunications officer is responsible for uh, managing the uh, spectrum um, mm-hmm. and regulating the telecommunications industry, which is uh, essentially entails all of the um, major providers such as Flow, Digital, um, APUA, and so on. Um, and so it was a bit of a different role. But when I joined there, um, you know, it was I, I'm I, I love to learn, so mm-hmm. you know. I, I love the opportunity to get in there and learn a bit more about telecoms. And it's not so far away from IT that you know I, I wouldn't be able to um, understand. Uh, but it was a slightly different uh, aspect. Um, but as soon as I got in there, you know, I was put in at the deep end in terms of um, working with some of the the, the top persons in the telecommunications industry. And at that time in 2012, um, this was coming up on the the year 
where um, cable and wireless's uh, monopoly on international right. um, calls was actually coming to an mm -hmm. end. And so there was a lot going on in terms of, you know, how, how things would, you know, how things would play out after that. And so I was thrust into these level meetings with all sorts of persons, <laughs> um, all sorts of lawyers and so on. Um, and basically learning all of these, all of the jargon and the, the, the big terms about what's happening there. Um, but <clears throat> suffice it to say, um, we made it through that and the sector did get liberalized um, to some aspect. Um, but we we're also working on <clears throat> redeveloping uh, the Telecommunications Act, which is uh, still, <laughs> still in its, um, in well, still in, in development, maybe? <laughs> I can't even say development because the Telecommunications Act that governs the sector right now is from 1951. 51? Um, yeah, 1951. So it's very outdated. Uh, and, to say the least, yeah. Yeah. And well, there, there have been a few amendments. I think mm -hmm. the last one might have been in 2003, if I'm, if my memory serves That's me still a long time ago. Yes, very, very long time ago. Um, and, you know, that's, that's only just a, a basic amendment. Um, but so the, the whole telecommunications sector, it, you know, the, the governance of it really needs to be updated. But that, that I'm not really going to get into. But mm -hmm. at the Although time... Although it does kind of explain fun. some things. You're right. You're <laughs> right. <laughs> so so um, at that point in time, um, that's, that's where I got into. But then... From that, no, after, well, after that um, the, came the inception of the GATE program, the Government Assisted Technology Endeavor, um, which the then minister, uh, Dr. Mansour, would have started. Um, and part of that would have been the ICT cadet program. And so the ICT cadet program is essentially a boot camp that uh, provided persons with ICT skills. So what does ICT stand for in this instance? Um, information communication technologies. The idea was um, that uh, there are persons in our society um, that uh, may live under certain circumstances where they may not be able to um, progress to a higher level education institution, for example, whether it's for financial reasons or otherwise, mm -hmm. um, but they they want to retool themselves or to gain an additional skill so that they can become valuable to the workforce. Um, and so, this this boot camp was a six month boot camp that allowed persons who the, the requirements were very basic. Um, <clears throat> they had to have completed. Um, they had to have completed. Uh, a high school, so they must have a high school diploma, um, and they must have a, a clean, uh, what you call it, uh, a clean police record. Right? Okay. Yes. And, no 
right? <laughs> right? <laughs> and, 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 and essentially a love for IT, right? So mm-hmm. the, the There was no requirements then, on like how many subjects they had to have graduated with? No, okay. no, no yeah, requirements because mm-hmm. we didn't want to, to keep anyone out, right? For sure. And because the idea was, if you if you didn't get you know a grade one in IT, if you got a grade one in IT at CXE, then you didn't need to to come to this course, right? right. You you're already valuable and have the skill sets um, for for the world of work in in this age. Um, so this this was for persons that wanted a different opportunity, wanted the ability to get some hands-on training in in different um, areas of IT. So um, one, when we launched the program, um, I was able to um, get the program certified as a uh, Cisco tr- training academy. Mm-hmm. And so we provided um, hands-on training in the IT essential course by Cisco. Um, so persons were able to to start learning in that aspect, um, and then we we also provided hands-on training in photography, videography um, at the very beginning, um, as well as Photoshop. Um, you know, so those those are some key new media skills, mm. um, as well as a few other a few other things here. Uh, we eventually also got the institute the the program certified as a Microsoft Imagine Academy. So persons were able to, um, they had access to all of these Microsoft courses um, for programming um, in, in HTML5, um, looking at also doing, if you wanted to do, uh, get a certification in um, Office, the Office Suite, Microsoft Word and right. Excel and so on. You can mm-hmm. you could also do that. So you know we had access to all of the content available for you to be able to do that. And over the course of we started the program in um, I think August 2013. Um, you know we had about uh, five cohorts uh, that passed through um, with about an average of about 35. Um, cadets each um, so you know you're, you're looking at about um, uh, over 200 persons that would have uh, went through that course and gained um, hands-on skills in those areas yeah that's really great so you're very much helping to redirect people who may struggle a little bit entering the world of work and giving them these really valuable marketable skills yeah, exactly. And, yeah, exactly. is that program still running today? Um, yes, it is. Um, I I left it in the good tutelage of another colleague of mine, and she herself is a um, a certified Cisco uh, trainer. So you know, I I believe it is still is still ongoing. Uh, but I, I obviously I don't work there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not <laughs> working at Digicel, but. Um, yes, it, it was to be still continued through, through uh, the ministry. 
So you mentioned that you studied in London, England, and I was wondering if you worked at all while you were there, or did you kind of complete your studies and then immediately return to Antigua? Um, so I actually had uh, an interesting, <laughs> an interesting uh, scenario that happened to me. Um, so while I was there, I didn't work in IT much. Um, but I did, between doing my master's, I did work for a year in Trinidad um, and in the management consultancy field. So hmm. I, yeah, it completely... Yeah, well, how, did that, how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> so, so actually, I, um, my father's from Trinidad and while, while there during the summer... Um, one year, um, I had to reapply for my student visa, um, and I didn't get it. So, oh, no. <laughs> so yeah, so I ended up having to stay in Trinidad. Um, and so while I was there, I just started looking for work. Um, and there was a small management consultancy firm. Um, that was uh, gave me an opportunity, and you know I, I gained some some experience there. Interesting. Do you happen to know like what in particular made you attractive to this firm, even though you're not really in that field necessarily? Um, so I think what made me attractive, uh, I guess, one my personality. <laughs> um, I'm very easy <laughs> to work with. Um, but uh, at the time, I would have, I mean, at the time, I would have completed my bachelor's degree in computer networking. Um, so I guess my experience there uh, would have helped my application. And so they were looking just for someone sort of as a, an IT um, intern type position. Mm -hmm. um, so actually, I actually enrolled with them with the Trinidad on the jobs program, on, on the job training program. Okay. Um, so it sort of worked as, a, as, a, a, as an in for, for me there. Just touching again on your time in the, the government, what would you say mm -hmm. are like the biggest differences working in the public sector versus the private sector? Not everyone has both those experiences. Um, well, so, so the reason why I left um, the public sector um, was because I really wanted to get a sense of um, how, how things work in the corporate world, right? Digicel is a multinational company mm -hmm. and um, a regional company as well. And so really for me, the, the going to Digicel was a great pathway for me to see how um, I could use that experience to further develop ticketing, right? Mm -hmm. um, because we wanted to go regional as well. I guess the biggest difference for me between the working in the private sector and working in the public sector, uh, the public sector has a little bit more bureaucracy um, and 
it's interesting the way how our ministers of government, even though you know you you see that yes they they sort of set the policies, but on a day to day how government actually works is really mm-hmm. through like um, the permanent secretaries and um, just people. Uh, in their various agencies and departments just doing the work. So it's very interesting just to see that in action. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my time there, uh, I, I spent a lot more time with, um, because while I was there, there was a change of government as well. And, and that was a whole thing as well, you know, um, how, that, <laughs> how that sort of works out uh-huh. is very interesting. Um, but, you know, in in the I guess my first couple of years with the previous government, um, I was it was a lot more hands on, and I guess that's just based on how the different ministers um, sort of uh, conduct their business. You know, right. So you would have gone from um, did you say it was Mansoor? Yes. To, Mansour to Melford Nicholas. Uh, that's correct. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, that must have been uh, quite the change because you're kind of on a track. You're doing one thing, and you're you have all these different irons in the fire, and then someone comes in who's not running the show, who has to be caught yeah. up. You got to exactly. bring them up to and speed. So, yeah, and exactly. And so and so then the the priorities then change, and then um, you sort of find yourself um, not so much, you know. The, the priority, but you know, if if you're if you're not working in you know a particular department, then you can find that maybe this area doesn't get as much attention because the, the minister's focus might be on something else, mm-hmm. and and that's that's fine, you know, um, but it it requires uh, I guess a lot of um, I guess I what I could say is that the job that I was doing didn't need much supervising. Um, so I, I was basically acting um, autonomously because uh, the minister had the confidence in me and what I was doing based on my track record. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you sort of then look at how the, uh, you know, the, the minister has to do a lot more, is giving a lot more focus to maybe other areas of the ministry because, you know, the, several departments within that one ministry. There's information, um, telecommunications, broadcasting, and, in, and information technology, um, you know, so four separate portfolios. And then he also has other roles within government and so on. So, um, you know, you don't get as much time as you used to, at least from my perspective. Um, but it was, it was just interesting to, to see how that worked, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you think that you would ever return to working in the public sector? Like, is that something that you could see happening in the future? Maybe at a higher level? Well, obviously at a higher level than you were before. <laughs> um, I mean, well, in, in the area that I was, maybe not. Um, I mean, to me, the only, the, the, the only other levels that are of any, um, I guess, uh, significance would be either at the permanent secretary level or as a minister. And I'm not so sure about the ministerial <laughs> position. Um, 
you know, so and permanent secretaries, they have a tough time. So, you know, I, I think I'll probably stay away from government for a little while. Well, you have a lot of things going on. So you're working at Digicel, you're part of the ticketing team, and you're also part mm-hmm. of Silicon Dadley. Can you tell yes. me about Silicon Dadley and what your role is there? Essentially, what what the idea was there was with a, a sort of burgeoning tech community, we thought we didn't really have a voice. And part of the reason why I think I got involved was, so this was maybe around 2017, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point in time, the Ministry of Information was again trying to um, update the Telecommunications Act um, from the 1951 Act. And so it was to be read in Parliament so that it could be, um, you know, changed into a bill and get passed into a bill and so on. And so at that time, we wanted the, the opportunity to have our voices heard from the tech community, um, you know, what we thought about this bill. And so we didn't really have an organization or an entity that we could turn to that could sort of lay our position out on the table to government and say, well, look, we don't like this or, you know, we're in favor of that, uh, that sort of thing. And so that's, I think, how Silicon Dadley was born. And just also just the general, the general ability to socialize and communicate with with like-minded individuals. You know, the lawyers have their association, the accountants have their association. There was no association for tech professionals Mm -hmm. um, in in the field. And as well, I think part of the reason there as well was a lot of people or the general public, I don't think really understood, you know, what a tech professional was. And in some cases, and in some particular fields, like for example, design, um, you know, persons in those sort of creative fields in the tech industry would be take, be taken advantage of, you know. Um, in what so sense? we didn't like. So, in what sense you ask? Um, mm-hmm. So, I've heard many stories, and myself have experienced um, where companies or individuals. You know, they will go to somebody and ask them for a website design or a flyer design or something, right? And mm-hmm. they, 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 they will ask you to do this work either for free or, um, you know, they, they don't want to pay you for the time invested in this work. Let us say you have a company that has a proposal out, right? They Mm -hmm. want a new website. Um, If you put in your proposal and you say, look, we can build this website for you. Um, These are the costs. Um, And maybe you you give some examples of all the work that you've done similar. Uh, Before hiring you, they want you to prepare a demo, right? Right. Now, for maybe some larger companies who have the resources, um, they can easily knock up a demo. They probably have 
you know, 10 or 20 developers that they can, you know, utilize those resources and put it together. Mm -hmm. um, but if you, if you are working in, in Antigua as a creative or as a developer, um, you know, the, the time and effort that you put into creating a, a fully functioning website, right? You could be using that time and effort to actually build something for somebody that's paying. Yeah. Right. So and that's what I mean. Also in the put sense. in that time, build a demo, and then they still go with somebody else. So that's just they could still go with somebody. Yeah. Exactly. Now, if and and so this is what I mean by you know being taken advantage of because persons do not place a value on um, on the time that person that you know professionals in the in the in our field in the tech community um, the time and effort that they put into into the work that they're doing and the the sense of value you know that persons have for the community. Um, it doesn't it doesn't bode well you know and mm -hmm. uh, so so we thought that by creating this uh, this association we would be able to better educate the public about um, the tech field and what it means and some of the things that you can and can't do and what you can ask for um, you know just to just so that persons in the field would know that look, they have persons that they can go to for support. Mm -hmm. um, and we would be able to provide guidance in terms of what you should and shouldn't do. Because a lot of persons um, as well in the field sometimes don't know their worth and don't know, you know, don't know the, their rights in terms of um, how they should go about um, charging a customer or, or not charging a customer and you know how much work they should be putting in before they actually get a signed contract mm -hmm. you know so we thought that we would be able to, to put together this association and do that and so we 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 went about did that and we have um in terms of paying members maybe not so many maybe about 10 i would say um but the community has I guess developed its blossom. Um, you know, we have a, a grouping, or at least a WhatsApp group of over a hundred um, persons. Um, so you know, and these are persons in in all sort of different fields in the tech industry, um, and we communicate on a regular basis about lots of different topics and so on. And um, you know, we've we've had the opportunity to meet and you know network with with these persons. So we pro also provided a networking opportunity for persons in different fields. Um, so I think uh, that was a, a, a good initiative in terms of just bringing the minds together. I would definitely agree. When I first um, became aware of that group, I was very happy to see something like that because I know, like, I guess I kind of count as a creative too, but working mm -hmm. here in Canada, there are so many of these different associations. There's so many different little hubs around that you can go meet other people mm -hmm. and really find collaborators or get advice, find mentors, all that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. I think having that in Antigua is really important as well. I wonder though, what do you think is 
like the reason why these fields aren't really being taken seriously, the field or the professionals occupying the field aren't being taken seriously and treated as valuable by a kind of the society at large. I would say it's, it's maybe beginning to change a little bit, mm-hmm. but I would say <clears throat> when we first um, start, started to get together, um, that, you know, the, the main drawback or the main problem was that um, education, the, the, the public is not, was not really educated in terms of um, the, the, the value of, of these resources. Um, for example, let's say I, I own a shop um, selling clothes, you know, um, in Vendors Mall or um, wherever, right? Um, one, I may not have a lot of spare cash to, to pay somebody to you know, develop a, a logo and a, and a flyer to help my business and so on, right? right. Um, so they, they may see, see somebody just starting out um, and say, hey, why don't you put together something for me and um, you know, to, to help get you out there? Right. right. To, exposure. To, to get exposure. exposure. Yes. Yeah. Being paid in exposure. Right. That's a and good one. Yeah. And so, so you'll find that a lot of persons um, would would do that, but then at the same time, a lot of persons in the field doing the work, you know, th- they wouldn't see any other way to actually get by. So mm-hmm. they would end up having to do it that way, and. So, so I think it's sort of perpetuated in that um, persons have been going ahead and, you know, doing the work at either cut prices or, um, you know, doing it for exposure simply because they didn't have a sort of a backing from an institution or an association that would say, well, no, look, if you, you, you're, the, the value of your work is X, you know, you should stick with that. You know, um, your, your time obviously is, is money, right? Because you're gonna spend a lot of time developing this and you, you have to assess your prices accordingly. And um, I guess as well, part of the, the reason maybe, you know, Antigua is a, has a very small market um, yeah. for these things and so, those highly skilled persons that have been trained um, to, to do this kind of work um, may not be able to, to find the income um, to, gen- well, to, to, to actually generate a proper income uh, based on the market size here. Um, and I wanted to make one other point, but it's just escaping me at the moment. So let's talk around and come back to it. <laughs> okay. Well, one of the other things that I've heard from a lot of um, creative or tech entrepreneurs in Antigua is that those big contracts or nice juicy contracts will get Mm. given to people from outside of the country. Do you find that that's happening in, you know, in your circles? Um, Somewhat. Yes. Um, I think, I think part of why that may happen is there isn't really good communication um, 
from those entities that have these big contracts. Um, and maybe it's because they don't know that, you know, there are persons here that, that can actually do it. Mm-hmm. Um, some, some entities do know, right? And they choose to, to, to go otherwise. Um, but I think there, there are quite a number of persons that don't know that there are professionals here that can do that work. And so they don't put it out there or to communicate it um, in an effective way for persons to respond. Um, you know, there, there isn't, you know, for example, there isn't like a, a job section in the newspaper. I mean, there, there's the, you know, the classified ads, but not really a, a proper jobs area, you know, where you can see different proposals and whatnot that right. you might see in sort of other bigger countries and so on. Yeah, just from time to time, there are job postings that someone specifically will pay to take out an ad, basically just a regular ad. That is a job yeah. ad, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but there isn't an area where you can go and, you know, in the newspaper and see, um, you know, this ministry, for example, has a request for proposal for this and that. Um, and so... So the, the, these these opportunities sort of remain hidden, mm-hmm. and only if you know where exactly to look, you might be able to see um, certain opportunities. So, yeah, it, I think it's just a bit of a closed door kind of thing where persons just we're not really seeing that communication. Um, and I guess well, Silicon Valley was to be that sort of place where. Uh, you could come and see these, um, uh, see that sort of information. You know, we we are looking to revive that in 2020 and um, work on getting that information out there to to those persons that want to see. Great, help to open up some of those closed doors. Yeah, exactly. So I interviewed Colin Jenkins a while back. And Mm -hmm. he's a project manager in a different sense because he's more into architecture and construction projects. So how Mm -hmm. is your type of project management different from that type of project management? Um, So project management is project management, Mm -hmm. (laughs) all right? The the methodologies are the same um, and we both are sort of uh, guided by um, the same principles. Um, There are a few, I guess, additional, what we call knowledge areas in construction and architecture, um, but the core principles are pretty much the same. Um, Colin, uh, Colin's route to, to project management is a little bit different to mine. Mm-hmm. Um, Colin, I think, uh, did his master's in project management. Um, uh, whereas I would have gone the certification route um, through PMI, which is the Project Management Institute. Uh, the Project Management Institute is a global organization, um, and they are the, I guess, the, the, the persons that certify PMPs, which are project management professionals. Um, and they provide the the knowledge base for what is project management. Um, 
And so I gained my certification by taking a four hour long exam, um, whereas Colin did his masters, right? Um, but essentially, the <laughs> essentially the 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 tools and the methodologies, tools and techniques are are all the same. Um, so yeah. Okay. And why would you say to someone who doesn't know and is wondering why would I take project management? What is the use of this? What is the importance, and what does having this skill set allow you to do that perhaps you couldn't do without it? You manage projects every day. Um, your your life is a project, right? Amen. Um, <laughs> it's it's and it's a work in pro it's a work in progress, uh, but essentially, you know, you you're looking at formulating a plan for your life, and what are the goals and objectives of this plan, and how are you going to achieve those goals and objectives. Um, and you're going to use certain tools and techniques to uh, aid you in achieving those goals. Um, project management is essentially about getting things done. What I would say to someone who's interested in, in project management is uh, projects, you know, you can do them in, in any field, in any sector, um, whether it's telecoms, IT, um, I, well, I, I work in IT with, with ticketing, um, you know, whether it's a startup or, or a, a really uh, big company, um, you know, you have the opportunity to, to do project management. In any company, you know, you, you're going to have certain strategic objectives. A, a, a project has a beginning and an end. It's a short-term endeavor, right? And w what the goal of initiating a project in for a company that you know, wants to um, reach those strategic objectives, um, they can do so by initiating a project that will allow them to change their, their modus operandi, right? Allow them to move from one level to another level of operation, right? And you, you, you will use project management to get there. Um, so whether that is, you know, doing a study or creating a new product or um, creating a new service uh, that you want to offer to your customers, uh, project management will get you there. So if I say that I'm, I'm, I have a bakery and I want to create a new um, type of pastry, right? what do I need to do uh, to be able to do that? You know, I maybe need to buy some ovens and um, some new pastry chefs and all of that. So getting to that state of implementation of having those ovens and the new chefs and all of that, um, I would, can use a project manager to go about implementing, initiating, and getting that project done um, so that I can now offer this new product, All right? And in terms of, um, well, I can use ticketing as an example. Um, in terms of ticketing where, where we look at uh, we're, we're constantly developing um, our product, right? And so it's project management 
but in a in an agile sort of situation. So basically every week <laughs> we're we're sort of doing another project because mm-hmm. we're implementing this new feature or you know we're working towards this new goal. And and those goals can change based on customer priorities, right? What do the customers want? This is what they want. What new features do we need to implement? And so we we change and are very agile in our approach to how we go about creating those new products or features and so on. Um, So project management has helped me to um, have less wastage, have more efficient um, production, making sure that we get things done on time by a certain Mm -hmm. time. Um, you know, so I utilize project management in, uh, you know, so I'm not just the, the sales rep at, at ticketing, but I also <laughs> work with, with my colleagues on a daily basis, making sure they're reaching their targets, making sure, you know, we're, we're getting our priorities done so that we can meet our goals. Right, you're kind of the navigator. That. Yeah, yeah. And project management, you know, has different methodologies, different flavors that you can sort of look at. Um, What's your scrum. favorite flavor? Um, <laughs> my favorite flavor. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at the agile approach um, to project management, um, I've sort of started getting into Scrum, which is a, a very precise way of um, managing a project. Um, and so in this instance, I would be the scrum master where I'm basically directing persons as to what they need to do. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's very scrum interesting. And yeah, you, they have this scrum master certification that you can do. It's really cool. Cool. Sounds like a cool title. I like it. <laughs> um, and so there's an ethical portion to project management that you seem to place an emphasis on. So can you tell me, is that something that you've always cared a lot about, the ethics of things, or did was there some event or situation that kind of caused you to shift in that direction? The field of project management is, is all about um, transparency and telling the truth. So the only way to manage a project is by having good information from from those that are working with you. So if I am managing a project and I know we have certain deadlines and certain things that we need to to hit, um, certain targets that we need to hit, if persons are not telling me the truth, right, then we may miss those deadlines because they may say, well, oh, I, I'm, I'm going to finish this by such and such a day, right? Um, but if it's really taking longer than expected, I need to know why. Mm-hmm. I need to know what is causing that because, you know, you, you want to get to the root of the problem and there's something in project management called um, root cause analysis, right? Where you, you, you ask why three times, you know, why is this happening? Okay, this is the reason. Okay, why is that happening? You know, mm-hmm. so it's and you you end up with 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 getting down to the real cause of the problem. So, is it the person's skill sets? Do they not have enough skill? Do they need to be trained? Um, is it somebody in a different department is not getting them the information they need to finish their work? You know, 
so so with my influence as a project manager, if I know these things and I can better able help that person um, succeed at their role, thereby helping the bigger picture, the overall project succeed, right? Mm -hmm. So telling the truth is very important. So honesty and 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 um, visibility into all aspects of the pro of the project is is very important for a project manager. And so we hold up this, these ethical values as very important because um, at the end of the day, if my team has to be um, truthful with me and I have to be truthful to um, the sponsor of this project or you know, the person that I'm doing the project for. And, and if I say to the, um, if I say to uh, my, business partner that this project is going to be done by such and such a day and i i say it not knowing the full facts mm -hmm. and i'm sort of just guessing then you know ethically i'm not really being a project manager i'm just sort of being uh, a coordinator of sorts or a supervisor um, or supervisor <laughs> right and so so you know we live by those ethics because we, we want to ensure that the project management field um, lives up to a certain standard. Um, and so, you know, even doing the, even doing the, the PMI certification exam, um, you know, they ask a lot of questions about um, ethicalness. And some people pro probably fail simply because you know, they're taking the experience that they do day to day on their job. Mm -hmm. And this is what sort of tends to happen in a work environment, you know. Um, persons sort of withhold a little bit of information thinking, oh, you know, I can probably try and correct this before anybody finds out. Right, Whereas, the cover your ass mentality. Yes, exactly. So, you know, we try to, as project managers, say, well, look, it's not about covering your ass. It's it's about the teamwork, you know. And um, when we when we all understand what the problem is, then we can help, you know, fix it. Antiguan society in general, you know, has a kind of cover my ass <laughs> um, sort of mentality. Cover my ass, cover my um, eyes, cover my ears. <laughs> you know, it's something that I I sort of hold dear to my heart because. You know, I, I want to see persons um, not working in that with that kind of mentality, mm -hmm. but rather, you know, sort of change the script and be open about it. Because at the end of the day, if you don't highlight the problem now, then it's going to become a bigger problem later down the line. Absolutely. And that's no good for anybody. Yeah. You know? Is that part of the reason why you're an instructor in project management, like trying to put more of this kind of mentality out into the world and into the exactly. culture in particular? I, exactly. I mean, I, I, I do it also because it helps me keep abreast of, you know, the learning in project management and so on. Um, but I, I really find joy in um, speaking to people about, you know, doing this in their workplace and having that kind of mentality um, so that persons, uh, you know, so that it can basically filter through to, mm -hmm. to, to everyone. Um, 
you know, to promulgate uh, in different areas of the economy, in different areas in Antiguan society. I, I really enjoy that. What are your class sizes like? I've done about three classes at UE Open Campus, uh, three terms mm-hmm. I've been teaching. And uh, this term, the, the enrollment was pretty small. So they only did one class. So I'm actually not teaching this semester. Um, but Colin, I think, is, has started this semester. Um, so his class, but on average, they've been about maybe 15 to 20 persons per class. Okay. Yeah, pretty good. For the last three semesters, they, they had two classes every semester. So myself and Colin were teaching at the same time. So I guess from a cultural perspective, what is kind of holding us back as a nation from actually becoming a powerhouse of sorts, especially as it regards technology? All right, that's an interesting question. From my perspective, I would have already touched on on the Telecommunications Act. Mm -hmm. Um, That, to me, is one of the the biggest hurdles for our society. And the reason being, without competition, there there is no incentive for prices to go down. Um, And not having modern telecommunications legislation um, means that, uh, well, currently, there is only one provider that can provide uh, fixed broadband services in Antigua. Hmm. Um, And is that APUA? Yes, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, without the proliferation of steady, reliable internet, right, um, which is best served through a fixed um, uh, fixed media um, such as fiber, or you know, we have DSL lines as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but without that reliable internet, uh, you know, we will continue to be consumers of technology as opposed to producers of content and producers of of, um, of media. And it's difficult because without the modern legislation, without modern telecommunications act, um, we have one provider that is able to do that, right? Other providers are looking at wireless solutions um, for that, but wireless solutions are more expensive. Mm -hmm. So the cost of broadband is high. I think we pay per per meg the highest in the Caribbean um, and probably probably the hemisphere as well. Um, That would be alarming. Yeah, so per meg, in t- you know, in terms of just download speed, if you look at yeah. the cost per, per meg in terms of download speed, Antigua, on average, has the highest cost per meg. Um, and so, so that is a deterrent straight off the bat, you know. Um, and that's only going to change once there's competition. But 
it makes it very difficult without a modern legislative framework to be able to have that competition um, to have lower prices um, for consumers. Um, so I think in a nutshell, that's, that's where it is. Uh, that is the key thing that is holding us back in terms of becoming a powerhouse in terms of technology. Um, you know, when you look at the other islands, um, you know, where it's, uh, and Antigua is a very unique place, uh, not just in the Caribbean, but in the world. Um, I actually did a course on telecommunications law, um, maybe in 2015, somewhere around there. And while I was doing the course, they had a case study on Antigua. Oh, wow. <laughs> and this is for a course in Washington or something, right? Wow. So Antigua is, very, is a very unique place. And um, most countries have two major providers, right, of telecommunication services. Yes. Um, if you think about the United States, um, Verizon and AT&T, mm-hmm. right? You have the sort of smaller one. Well, the market share is a bit smaller in terms of T-Mobile and Sprint and so on. Right. Um, but then you look at the size of the United States, right? It's 360 million people, right? So they can afford to have more um, carriers, but it's just um, they're still many two major providers. Antigua, on the other hand, with 80,000 or if you want to say 100,000 persons in Antigua, we have four um, telecommunications operators. Um, two major ones historically would have been um, Flow and Digicel. Uh, but then we also have AT&T, sorry, not AT&T, APUA, <coughs> and, and we also have ACT. So ACT also provides internet services. The, 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 the argument here is that um, APUA is in a very unique position because they are government-owned, right? fully government-owned, and they also, they also have um, or con- they also control um, our utilities. Yes. So they, they, they do electricity, water, and um, telecoms. And so they're competing in what should be a private space. Mm-hmm. You have three other private entities that they're competing with. As a public company, they're competing with three other private um, providers. And in addition to that, APUA has its own act. So there is an APUA act, and essentially they regulate themselves. Mm. (laughs) I don't see any problems at all there. (laughs) If you, if you watch, um, if you watch uh, government information services channel or any debates on TV um, in parliament, you realize that there is Melford Nicholas, who is the minister for IT, mm-hmm. right? So anything to do with IT and telecoms. And then you have the minister for APUA, yes. right? which is Robin Yearwood. 
And those two are always at loggerheads because they can never agree on um, how the telecommunications industry um, should be managed. Hence why the 2017 bill that was um, proposed and read in parliament has never been passed into an act because they just can't seem to find a way forward. Mm -hmm. So I don't know when we will ever get this new modern telecommunications legislation unless it puts APUA at an advantage and the prime minister um, in his throne speech um, has now said that, um, you know, Digital and Flow are offering pricey, crappy service. And we're going to put money into APUA so that they can become, you know, the best provider on the island. And possibly they may want to also expand into other islands. I don't know, but I think APUA that's probably... will expand into other islands? Well, let me not say APUA, INET. Okay. That I think is probably where they're heading. Weird but, flex, but okay. I mean, it, it's it's not a weird flex if you if you look at what um, our honourable prime minister has been doing. He is um, he is basically looking at all the institutions in Antigua and Barbuda and saying we want to um, we want to basically. Uh, ensure their survivability. Um, so you look at West Indies oil, um, you look at what's happening with um, Scotiabank and RBC being bought out by local banks. So he's really, if, if you look at the, the policies that he's setting, he's really trying to um, strengthen our institutions. Um, here in Antigua, which is very admirable, I must say. But with the telecommunications sector, um, you have, uh, WIAC is, I mean, WIAC has one competitor with Rubis. Um, the bank situation is a little bit different, but then you have three other entities in the market, in the telecommunications industry. Um, one also being local, which is ACT. And essentially you're saying to ACT, which is another local provider, well, look, um, the government is not going to facilitate your business. We want to strengthen APUA. And then you're also kicking out or you know, making it harder for um, the other uh, entities um, Digicel and Flow to to compete in the market, mm -hmm. right? Um, because they don't have the legislation to allow them to um, put in fixed line services, um, so they have to come up with other strategies, um, other more expensive strategies, um, and then at the same time you're telling them that they, you want them to have cheaper prices, you know. All right. Um, cheaper services, so it's kind of it's kind of weird. But you know, I see what he's trying to do. <laughs> um, but we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, I mean, the goals themselves are admirable, strengthen the institutions. But 
if you kind of take a longer term view and look downstream at the effects of strengthening the institutions for the sake of strengthening the institutions, like you're saying, the prices, there's no incentive for prices to be lower if you have a monopoly, which is kind of being created with the APUA getting all the preferences. And you could say a similar thing for the banks as well. I mean, if you get it down to a place where there's only two banks locally and one of them is kind of offshore-ish, then everybody's banking in the same place. Your fees won't necessarily be lower either. And then there's also the question of if we just have less institutions and less privately owned businesses, then is the government the only game in town? Yeah, so um, it's, it's, it's that, that long-term view is really important, you know. Um, what, what, is gonna, what is the end goal there at the end of the day? How are our um, other local private institutions, you know, how are they going to fare in the long run? And, you know, from different perspectives, well, in different industries, you know, it, you have to look at different factors. Mm -hmm. um, to really judge that properly, but um, you know, in terms of IT, I'm I'm not so sure that you know this is the the right move. Well, time will give us the answer to that question. <laughs> I guess if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing, um, whether it be about your sector or something completely different in Antigua and Barbuda, what would that thing be that you would change? <laughs> Enough <laughs> said. That needs no explanation. <laughs> Sorry, okay. I drive on it every day, so you know it's it's tough. Yeah, it's a frustrating thing, um, especially. I mean, I'm just a visitor at this point. But when you come down one year and you're like, okay, this road is not great, but then the next year you come back and it's worse. It's worse after they claim that they fixed it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I cannot bring people to this country. Oh, my God. <laughs> For anyone who wants to stay in touch with you and see all the great stuff that you're up to, what would be the best place for them to follow you online? I mean, if you want to know what event I'll probably be at, you need to check out the ticketing app. <laughs> I guess you can reach me on Twitter um, at Ashton268. Um, or, I mean, if you want business-wise on LinkedIn. Thank you so much, Ashton. This has been a really great chat. It was good getting to know you a little bit, and maybe we'll do this again some point. Well, yeah, you're doing a great job. I, I like what you guys are doing. Oh, thanks so much. Appreciate that. Thank you for listening to this episode of Grassroots Radio. If you enjoyed the conversation, show some love and help spread the word. You can do that by subscribing on Apple, Google, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Already subscribed? Consider leaving a five-star review. It helps other people find the show. If you have an idea for someone you want to see featured or a topic you want us to cover, let us know. DM us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at grassrootsANU or email us at thenewgrassroots at gmail.com. 
For more about NGR, visit us at thenewgrassroots.com. Until next time, this is Grassroots Radio.